You're seven deadly sins, Captain. Gluttony. Greed. Sloth. Wrath. Pride. Lust. And envy. Seven. everybody out there in podcast land welcome to another episode of black and white reviews where we promise we will not throw up on you in the mid- middle of a sentence yeah no <laughs> yeah you get it good I, I anyways do <laughs> this week we are going to be discussing the 1997 film seven written and directed by david fincher starring what's his name morgan freeman and brad pitt what's his name morgan freeman <laughs> did you forget brad that pitt. Morgan what's, Freeman, what's Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Brad, Paltrow. I forgot Brad. Gwyneth Paltrow. Kinda. 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 She's kind of a big part. Like she was there for the finale. She. I mean, part part of her, partly. <laughs> she was partly there. Are we, are we are we sure about that? Because we never actually hey, got to see. We what don't was actually in the see it. <laughs> hey, to, the, to everybody else, her acting was heads above everybody else. So. That's I guess really so. bad. Give me one second, guys. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> that was just horrible. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, we watched this movie. So, seven... Jeez. We, we've definitely seen this movie, you know, a long time ago. All of us know this movie. Um, I'd say Will probably likes this and knows this movie more than both of us. It's, it's oh, one, yes. of his, one of his favorite movies. Um, Fincher is on my Rushmore of directors. Okay. Okay. Without um, a Fincher is on my Rushmore of directors, so yes, so, yeah, I'm we, very familiar with this film. Yeah, when Chuck and I were talking about it, we were looking at the list of all the Fincher films, and we're like, oh, wow, that one. Oh, wow, that one. Oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that he's had his hand in that we weren't expecting. So, Which is why I was surprised that, that Will didn't like um, Zodiac. It's a Fincher film, too. It's a Fincher It moves way too slow. It is slow, mm. but it's such a comparable good film. to other Fincher films. It moves really slow. When I watch the girl in the dragon tattoo, when I watch, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on a, a prisoner, or when I watch that was a fantastic. Film. Oh, I'm blanking on one movie that I thought of was really phenomenal, and I, 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 I'm blanking on it. I'm blanking on it. Oh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl is fantastic. Completely changed the way that I look at um at Ben Affleck, but yeah. Did you know that David Fincher did Passion in the Desert, which means that Lee now has to watch it and take notes on it. <laughs> I don't see why that means that at all. Actually, that's fantastic. That's, uh, he didn't, and I even if he did, I don't see how how that means that at all. But now that I saw a picture of that film, I'm disturbed. <laughs> You have to watch you the should movie be. now. <laughs> You'll be more disturbed. <laughs> you have to watch the movie. Well, I'm, I'm just... And yeah, take notes. Whatever. <laughs> and then run the podcast for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be so interesting. It would be the, yes, it would. It would be the worst would be so podcast interesting. ever. But, Lee, you were saying your thoughts on the movie? Sorry, we kind of, like, uh, went so off on you. I, 
I, I will personally say that watching this movie now is different than when I first, the first few times I've seen the movie. I remember really enjoying it. Um, obviously, we're not going to sit there and be like, spoilers, but Kevin Spacey is phenomenal in this. Like, just, he, he the way that he portrays the characters that he plays are, are it's His introduction phenomenal. is classic. Oh, it's, it's like, that's what I was telling him. Like, my favorite line is just that detective. Detective! You know, three times, and then he just gets, hey, I'm here. You know, and just the way he responds. And I love that, you know, at one point you see him, and he's very, he's got it all together. It's all planned out. But there's there's one point where they're in the cop car driving, and you can see that he actually, like, Brad Pitt, like, set him off. You know, that Mills actually, like, like tweaked he touched upon a chord you know it was it was the whole how dare you say that they're you know innocent people like you saw him kind of unhinged for a moment there when he had everything else was calm cool and collected like i've got everything under control and he's just like only in a world this vile would you call those people innocent and he goes off on it i'm like ooh, like that was great to see the passion you know not just the ooh, i'm toying with you but the passion and that was something that i thought really came out very well um on his part um, Brad Pitt was Brad Pitt as always, so I, I can't say his acting was fantastic. Ah, oh, what's in the box? You know, not like this that's, early in his career. This no. early in his career, he was not. He had no business in that car with Morgan Freeman and Kevin Spacey. No, but <laughs> but but for the character, it was fine. For you the know, character, he's, he's a, it was fine. He's a hothead detective. Thinks he's the cool, you know, yes. whatever. Yes. Um. So it was it was fine. Again, I, we were talking about you know Gosling last night too. I'm just like, listen, the chops aren't like amazing, but for the part that he was playing, it was perfect. That's what they needed for that role. And and he nailed it because it was an it was an easy task, you know. Again, next to Morgan Freeman and and Kevin Spacey, it's like what else can you really say about that? Like they stole the movie, especially Spacey yes. by the end. So, I think it's a great film. But I will say that now, just because my just the things I'm into now, it was a lot more disturbing than I remember it being. You know, just just specifically some of the gore that was in it was a little bit beyond my. Um, my taste for now. There's just some bloody stuff and, and just some of the situational stuff that was a little too too much for me now. Things I forgot about. Specifics. Sp- specifically the lust scene. Just that whole thought of what happened the there was... The lust murder is a lot. That was... It was really disturbing. So the, lust, the lust murder is a lot. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I'll say about it. So, I mean... I, I hate to say I probably won't watch this movie ever again, but I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I've seen it. I know it. There's no more mystery to it. So I think I'm satisfied and I'm done. But I, I like the movie. I just I don't need to see it again. So I'm not uh, obviously I'm not in the same boat that either one of you are going to be in with this movie. I think this movie is fabulous. I will absolutely watch this movie again. I um the the scene that you're talking about where Kevin Spacey and um and Brad Pitt are going back and forth in the car. You think that you know Detective Mills kind of gets the upper hand there? I completely disagree. no, not, I never, no. I never said he got around. the upper hand, but he definitely like you know struck a nerve when he Kevin struck Spacey a nerve, when, when, but then made Kevin Spacey, Spacey get passionate. Around. Yeah, 
Kevin Spacey turns around and absolutely strikes a more hardcore nerve on him you right. know, with the whole, you're alive because I'm letting you be alive right now. I could have oh, killed yeah. you, but I didn't. It was, it was magical. But, he wasn't, but, but at that moment, he wasn't being smug like he was the entire time before and no, after. No, so I, li- no, I liked that he, he was, broke out of the smug character for a moment to just be passionate. That's what I thought was fantastic about that. I love that scene because you see him just kind of, you know, flick the switch and get out of that to be like, how dare you? You know, I am yes. doing what needs to be done. So that's, I wasn't saying he had the upper hand. He definitely didn't have the upper hand at L <laughs> at all, at any point. <laughs> he, he was clearly like Mills on the bottom it, of that. It's so weird. Like, I agree with you when you say that for the character that Brad Pitt pay, plays, Mills is absolutely a necessity for this movie, but he's oh, yeah. the punching bag of this movie. It's crazy. Yes, literally. <laughs> he's, he's the one literally. who's all beaten up. <laughs> Sorry, I broke your face. <laughs> More than once in this film, he is done and just in the dark. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just, he's, he's the buffoon. Yeah. He didn't even know that his wife was pregnant. Like no idea. I mean, that's, that's, that whole scene was just so good though. When, when Morgan Freeman's just trying to cover it up and he's just like, Oh yeah, you didn't know. Oh, he didn't know. Shut up. Very much. Very much like, um, it reminded me a lot of, of in Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're like, Oh, you didn't know he was alive type thing. Like, the same type of response. Like, oh, you didn't know. Hmm. (laughs) So a couple of weeks ago, uh, more than a couple of weeks ago, actually, Chuck and I actually spent like two and a half, three hours just talking. We didn't record it, and we should have, but we were just talking. And in that, during that conversation, we were telling each other about our favorite movies. And one of my top five favorite movies, probably in my top two, is Shawshank Redemption. I love that movie. I love that movie. It's one of my it's one of my favorite all time movies. That being said, this is probably my favorite Morgan Freeman performance. Like Mm, what mm -hmm. that man does in this film playing this detective, like just the, the, the age and being that wise and just having a lot of the answers until we get to one part that I have a really big problem with this. His (laughs) his performance in this movie is fantastic. But, um, Okay, uh, Chuck, opening thoughts on Seven? So Seven came out in what, 95? 97, I think. It says here 95 on IMDb. Uh, 95, I believe. Did it come out in 95? Yeah, 95. Yeah, 95. Um, I was, wow, okay, I'm wrong. So Seven wow, came I'm way, out. Okay, in, yeah, well, I'm way off. Seven came out in 95, and then um, in 2006, Superman Returns came out. Right. And where are we going with this? <laughs> Kevin Spacey, obviously. And I, I watched Superman Returns and it wasn't the best Superman movie. Brendan Ralph did a fan did an okay job as Clark Kent. He was eh as Superman. But after He was re- fantastic as Clark Kent. He was fantastic. He did, as Clark he, did Kent. he did a great job like bringing in uh the, Christopher Reeves there. Like yes. it was actually the the bumbling goofball. It, he it was spot on. Right. Which he carries on later on if you watch Le- Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. Like the same character basically. <laughs> so as I was watching 7, it brought me to Superman Returns and I looked at it and I go, "Now I know why they use Kevin Spacey for Lex Luthor." Because he is a psychopath. And I am actually to I am actually on Will's side more than I am on Lee's side on this one. I, I, I watched it again. It wasn't as gory as I remember it to be. Um, okay. 
But I watch a lot of horror movies. <laughs> I watched a lot of horror growing up, um, and uh, until about ten years ago. Um, but I watched. Yeah, I didn't. Movie. I didn't want to touch on it. I didn't want to touch on it until we got there. But the only scene in this movie that I found gruesome was the lust scene, and it's yeah. not gruesome yeah. because of what it shows. It's gruesome no. because of what it implies. What it, it implies. doesn't exactly. come right out and say what happens. Exactly. But, right. Yeah. Well, but, he does. He does later on. I, when he's when he's being when he's oh, the in, guy the, um, in the the guy in the interrogation room, right? He yeah, explains okay. exactly what happened. You're sitting, listening to it, and you're, and you're like, oh, 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 ah, oh. <laughs> you know, it's just that's like, it's disturbing. That, that just freaks. It's 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 more than disturbing. It's well, the it's fact horrible. That I think, I, I think um, Fincher's use of just having the guy tell the story was was perfect because it was disturbing oh, yeah. enough. Yes. It gave you a mental image. You didn't need to see anything. Well, we already we had the physical image of what he was wearing. Right. Um, but overall, the, I thought it was clever photo. though because even even when they're in the club and they take the sheet off, I think either Morgan Freeman's I think his head is in the way of the actual like the gruesome right. scene of what happened. Like his head is in the right. way of the shot. And then right. when you see the actual device, it's just a picture that a picture. the guy who made it. It's just a picture of it with nothing else going on. Right. So well, it, sa- it's, same it's with not- the head in the box. They did a lot of like, we're not going to show you this it, live. Yeah. We're not going to show you this like real time. We're going to show it to you in another way. Let your so mind it's not like direct. Let your mind yeah. run away with it. Even when they enter his apartment and you see his souvenirs, the most gruesome part of that is the hand in the jar. And it's it's clearly like a prosthetic. It's not a real hand. There's nothing right. about that hand that screams, this is real, this was severed. It's just whatever. Right. It looks like something that would be in the Adams family. Right. So I definitely would watch this movie again. Um, would I watch it every year? No. Um, this is something that I would put, you know, in my repertoire and you know, every couple of years, pull it out and watch it again. Yes, I think this movie was fantastic. I think this movie was fantastically written. Um, I think it was directed beautifully. Um, you can, I can see why certain, like, like Kevin Spacey, you know, I, I was talking to Lee about this. And I said they did, I, I went back and I watched the, the, tr- the original trailer for this film. And they did with this film what they should have done with Blade Runner 2049. Right. They told you. Right. They didn't his, show Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was not in the trailer at all. So mm-hmm. I had forgotten that Kevin Spacey was even in this movie. And I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Kevin Spacey's the bad guy. If Blade You Runner, know what? That, 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 that reminds me. All the times that I've watched this movie, I never pay attention to the opening credits. I'm always paying attention to what's going on in the background. So I don't even right. know if his name is in the opening credits. No, nope, it's not, it's not right. in the opening credits. And if you watch the final credits, That's he's the first name. That's nuts. He's the first name in the final credits. Right. That's crazy. Um, now, you, you know, there's another movie that I think they did the same exact thing. Or to me, it was. Do you remember the movie Phone Booth? Yes. Great movie. I, I have to rewatch it. I think I've only watched it once, and it was years ago, like right after it came out, Bone right, right after it was released on video. Phone Booth is Colin Farrell as Chris Evans was to Cellular, but Phone Booth was I didn't, better I didn't, than I didn't cellular. see Cellular, but yeah, that came out when I was working at, at Blockbuster. But no, so Phone Booth, what was cool about that was the whole thing was like he's on the phone with a dude, right? And you don't see the dude until later on, and it's Kiefer Sutherland of all people. It's, yep. it's a a bigish name. But they name. spoiled that because Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland was always the guy. Like they they advertised him for that movie heavily when that movie oh, was coming they? out. Oh, did they? Well, then that, yes. see the thing is, imagine if they I didn't. knew Kev. I knew Kiefer Sutherland was going to be in that movie before the movie came out, 
And then okay. when you're watching it and you just see, I think you just saw like the bottom part of his mouth. Like it's so you're distinct. Like, oh, there like he, he is. He has, well, that's, he's, exactly. Yeah. His, his face is so distinct that it's like, oh, that's Kiefer Sutherland right there. Right. Oh, see, but that's, that's what I'm getting at is like there, there was something about this movie that made it great because they didn't ruin that for you. And when you saw it, you're like, I know that guy from stuff. It's Kevin Spacey. And, and, and it was right. awesome. So the thing is, advertisements nowadays, they just give it all know, away. We, and we've known this. They give, they give everything away. away. They give you the best things away, or they they completely lie to you. Multiverse of madness. You know, like there's things that they do, um, <laughs> in Hollywood today that just drives me nuts. But I, I miss the days in the early '90s. You know, early to mid '90s and and before we'll say. That just didn't give you much away. Like they told you something, and you're like, "That looks pretty interesting." I mean, trailers back in the '80s and '70s were garbage, you know. Yeah. But in the nine, the '90s, they started making it like an art form in itself. Right, and they had which just was that, so cool. They had just the one guy who did the vo- the yeah. voiceover for all in the trailers. In a world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I th- coming this fall. I thought this movie was. I thought this movie was superb. I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it's not because you know what happens. I give it time in between. That way I kind of like, I remember it, but I don't remember everything. And then when I rewatch it, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That may, that's a, it's a great thing to watch, to see again. Um, right. Yes. And to go back to our conversation um, with Will and I, we didn't record, we should have recorded. We're talking uh. about favorite movies ever. And one of my top favorites is the 1991 film. Um, with Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, there Wasn't is, his name a chew? A, a, chew, a sneeze? No, or, that was, was his name? <laughs> No, but yeah, but his he, name was something that they made fun of to get to sound like that. It wasn't. It was Azim. Whatever. Azim, Achoo, that was the whole joke. But Azeem. he he was fantastic. And this is the thing, is you look at Morgan Freeman, and he is one of those actors that I've yet to see a role that he's played in that he's botched. He's like Gary Oldman. You put him in anything, he does fantastic. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. Just, he's just that good of an actor. Are you just saying Gary Oldman because they've also played together in Batman? I mean, he was good in that, too. He was fantastic Jeez, like, as Mr. Fox he was, in Batman. He yeah. was great as Lucius Fox. Yeah, he... I... I when they when they put somebody else there in Gotham, I was kind of like, man, I can't see this guy becoming Morgan Freeman. Not gonna buy who it. Else? Sorry. I mean, who else in like the Batman franchise stood up to Batman that way? If this device is part of this, I'm not going to be here. Goodbye, sir. Like, who else was doing that? That's crazy. I I really I, I want to rewatch those movies. That one moment is yeah. fantastic. And then it just types in his name, and the whole system just completely self-destructs. It's amazing. It he really is off. cool. Yeah, and that really was great. The, he just becomes the, uh, the 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 heir of you know Wayne Enterprises at that point. Why not? Yes, of <laughs> yeah. course. No, Agree one hundred percent, sir. Thank you. Uh, if if I could nail any impression, it would be Morgan Freeman. His voice is is like golden. I love it. But I mean, I've looked I've looked at some of the stuff he's done. Like, 21 was fantastic. Um, let's see. Pay It Forward. He was fantastic in Pay It Forward. It's he was great good in Pay film. It Forward. I actually uh, enjoyed that movie. One of my all-time favorites is... I've only seen it a handful of times, but it's a, it's a great movie. It's not, not an all-time favorite. It's all-time, you know, just a good movie. Is Have you guys seen American Beauty? 
with Kevin Spacey. Mm. Yeah, Morgan he, Freeman was in that. Sorry, no, Kevin. I'm thinking Kevin Spacey. Oh, I was very confused. Sorry I'm about like, that. you're I'm saying 21. I'm, I'm like, where Kevin, was Morgan Freeman? I'm back there? on Kevin Spacey. I kind of jumped the ship <laughs> yes. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew uh, where he, I, I I knew where he was going, but it was yeah. Yeah, sorry about I was that. Like, that was like 21. I'm like, what? Have you seen 21? <laughs> I did. That's the one with um. Oh, gee, was it was he Jim Sturgis, the one from Across the Universe? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. Lois yeah. Lane. Lois Lane. Yeah, okay. Lois Lane. Loweth Lane. Loweth Lane. You think Loweth Lane? Loweth Lane. Um, Loweth Lane. Okay. But Kevin Spacey, back to Kevin Spacey, he is also one of those like top-notch actors as well, too. So Kevin Spacey, I, what I've heard is he is the same person in real life as he is in all of these characters. He's a jerk. Really? I, I've I've yeah. heard that he's he's somebody that you you know you don't want to like go talk to. Like he will he he's like the boss in Horrible Bosses that he played. <laughs> like that's like that's exactly how he is. And it's like okay, I mean I can believe that because he plays it so well. Where you go, yeah, I I I wouldn't imagine him being a nice guy. <laughs> and because the two of you aren't as big uh, TV guys as I am, I have oh, House to talk of Cards. about House of Cards yeah, for a minute. Of course, fan. Fantastic. Did you say House of Cards? Yes. Oh my gosh, he was fantastic in House of Cards. Oh, so you watched House of Cards? I watched yeah, I has. watched most of the first season, yeah. Um he only gets better. He, Does he only really? gets better. Like his his ascension up the ladder to becoming president is like one of the greatest <laughs> one of the greatest story arcs of any character that I've ever seen on television. It's amazing. Really? It's amazing. Better than Walter White? The, What'd you say? Um, Frank mm. Underwood compared to Walter White. I, I'd have to think about that. I, they're 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 completely different. Like Walter White was like innocent into madness. Frank but, Underwood. But, but, the, was but a, the thing about the Frank, show, though, Frank was everybody Frank in that show transformed. That was the thing about Breaking Bad that everybody transformed. The only person yes. who didn't transform was his son, who was just like, he, hey. He, breakfast. <laughs> huh? Breakfast. Breakfast. Bre- That's breakfast. all he cared about was breakfast. But, any, but no, but you, you, you specifically, at, you didn't ask me if it was a better show. No, Breaking Bad is a superior show because everybody transformed. I agree with you. You asked me compared to Walter White. Walter White was in a into madness. Frank Underwood is like, He's he, it's it's hard for me to explain. I would have to think about that. That's a hard one. That's really difficult. I'll have to continue watching that because I I I was it's, I do love political you know. It's 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 a more. Is it a political drama or is it more of like a political? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't yes. think I finished very the first much season so with the um with uh with very, 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 very uh, shady backdoor deals going on. Th- th- there's a lot that Frank ends up doing that I'm not going to spoil for you, but absolutely, if you've only made it through like part of the first season, definitely go back and check the rest of it out. Like he, he only, the character only becomes more intriguing as the seasons go on. It's a Netflix original, right? Yes. Okay. So I thought. Yeah, one of the early ones. Yeah. Yeah, one of the earlier ones. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. But anyways, definitely check it out. But anyways, back to 7. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, back to seven. <laughs> if you have anything else that you want to add in, Chuck, because we're kind of all over the place here. I'm sorry, we're cutting you off because we just, we have a lot to say. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. No, I just, I think seven for me is, it's one of those, it's a, it's one of those hidden gems that you just forget about. Oh, David Fincher also did um, Fight Club. He did. He did Fight Club. Um, which he was did a, do which Fight was, Club. Which his name me, is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert, which in a, in a sense, seven. I'm going to say something. I'm sorry. I keep doing this. I'm going to do this the whole way through because we're talking about David Fincher now. <laughs> it's amazing how Brad Pitt transformed as an actor between this and Fight Club. It's, oh, my God. I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous because Lee and I were talking like you look at the end of, of seven and how you have Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey and Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt is the one who has no business in that car. Like he has no reason <laughs> to be there. With, with these two phenomenal actors, especially at that time. Fast forward four years to 99, and you see him in Fight Club, and he's a completely different person. It's amazing. I, I, it's, I, it's, it's a transformation that go, I, I don't have the words to explain. I don't know how he did it, but it's fantastic. Yeah, but then, but then a few years later, he does, um, what was it, with Angelina Jolie, Mr. and Mrs., uh... Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, that, just, keep, I, that was every just time a train wreck. All I can think about with, with Brad Pitt now is Bongiorno. <laughs> just that shit. Sure. Every, everything he did. We're here to kill Nazis. You've seen that, right, yes. Chuck? Yes. You talk about Inglorious Bastards? That movie is yes. amazing. That movie is fantastic. Oh, yeah. my when he's God. Like, he's like, I, I speak the most Italian here. He walks in. Bongiorno. <laughs> it's just way too funny. Like he, he's at the point now where he knows. He knows where he is. He Kill knows what he's doing. The, it's not a joke anymore. Line, it's like he's got it. The line, just the way that he delivered the killing Nazis, just the way that he, it's amazing. <laughs> we're gonna be dropped into France, dressed as civilians. Once we're in enemy territory, as a bushwhacking guerrilla army. We're going to be doing one thing and one thing only. Killing Nazis. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I don't I don't talk about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, it was bad. Nobody movie. does. See, for weird it was weird cuz for a long time Brad Pitt for me was like the boy band of actors. Like he was just that yeah. pretty, like like yeah. the, well, it was like, like the Meet Show Black interview with the vampire. Yeah, yeah like he was just like that pretty boy, you know, but then he did stuff like this, like Fight mm -hmm. Club, and you're like well, that's there, the same I, thing. With, love, that's the same thing with DiCaprio, though. I was no. just about to go there. Right? I was just about to say the same thing. Absolutely. It's the same thing with DiCaprio. DiCaprio gets to a point in his career where it's no longer like you're talking about the boy band of actors. He becomes like this phenomenal artist. Well, think about it. So we knew DiCaprio mostly for like what's eating Gilbert Grape, right? Titanic. Titanic. Titanic and Romeo and Juliet, the and Boz Lerman one. Remember the one that had like John Leguizamo, but they're all still speaking in the old English, even though it's modern times. And you're like, what am I watching here? Like, why are they speaking like this in the middle of a gas station with guns? I bite my thumb at you. Yes, you bite your thumb at me, sir. Like, what is going on? <laughs> Jamie Kennedy, John Leguizamo, Ben Affleck. 
that movie is nuts. I have to rewatch it now because I remember <laughs> it being like watching it in school and like, what is happening here? See, but that yeah. movie is impressive because it does take two time periods and it brings it together. And they actually did a decent job doing that. Well, that's why I want to um, rewatch it. The because one I remember thing, it the being one interesting. thing that ruined that movie for me, though. Claire Danes and her her, her ugly crying. Well, aside wow. from that, was um, DiCaprio. <laughs> um, <laughs> DiCaprio kind of ruined that film. For me. I could have saw any. I just don't see him as Hamlet. You know, yeah. I just find as, it as really Hamlet? funny <laughs> that you'll. I just no, find it Macbeth. really What's funny wrong with you? That, you, that, that you're sitting here, like, apologizing for Brad Pitt. I used to see him as boy band actor, but now he's amazing. It's the same thing with DiCaprio, Absolutely. but no, you it's, just it's, won't jump on board with that. It's fan, It's no, amazing. Di- DiCaprio it's amazing. has gone leaps like, and bounds beyond what Brad Pitt did. The, DiCaprio the, has the blown my mind. The hypocrisy of that statement from you, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just I, I'm sorry. I saw a lot more I, I saw a lot more movies with Brad Pitt that I, with him in it I like I enjoyed the movie I liked it better. Fight Club. Nobody else could have played that role aside from Brad Pitt. When I see no. when I see movies like Departed, I'm like, ah, oh, somebody else could have actually played his part for DiCaprio, and it would have been a, just as good of a movie to me. You're right. I I really do think the turnaround for DiCaprio though. Was really when he when he was Frank Abagnale Jr. Like that was a real that was a that so, was a point where you're I'm like trying he's, to watch that movie and by me I'm trying as I started watching it and I'm like he it's is the such same a good movie in the beginning at least in the beginning he is the same person as Titanic. No. Oh my! He's no. a he's a he's a he, he's a swindler. He's, he's trying to, like, that's how he got onto the boat in the first place was he's playing card games and he's lying and stealing and that's him the entire movie. And so far in this movie, all he's doing is like cheating people. I'm like, and he's so, wearing yeah. the same unit. He's wearing the same costume in this movie as he was in Titanic. I'm like, he's the exact same so, character. Pretty, pretty soon, pretty soon on this podcast, we're actually going to do something really interesting where we're all going to do a movie that we hate or movies that are, are bad. Chuck is doing Catch Me If You Can. Lee is doing uh, Passion in the Desert. And yes. I am doing Top Gun. So <laughs> that, this, this will be very interesting. I don't know when we're going to do this, but it's going to happen. I think the biggest thing, though, is when we do Passion in the Desert with Lee, it's going to be, oh a, general con- it's gonna be a general consensus. <laughs> this is going to be fantastic. And watch it, be the, watch it become the number one download, too. <laughs> So, so for those of you who don't, who don't understand what's going on here, and this might be like an inside joke, um, I think Luke is the only one who, who listens to us consistently and probably gets it because we might have talked about it briefly at like on a recording. But Passion in the Desert is a movie that Chuck watched with his parents when they were when he when he was a kid. No, no, no. With my just my dad and one of my and one of my good friends. Oh, your time. your well, your mother told you said, oh, here you should watch this movie. My mother rented it for us. Right. Unbeknownst to us, we had no idea what it was. It's this PG movie, and, and it, it was, was it was a it, it disturbed you beyond anything. And you told me this before we even did the podcast together about this. And you and you said there was this one time, and now it's become like a cult 
you know, memory of, of our podcast to just laugh well, about it. Well, it's only become and, that and because then you told, I told So I Will, told fi- Will. Will finally found it and watched it, and he agrees with you wholeheartedly, and I'm the only one who hasn't watched it yet, and you guys are dying to make me watch it. <laughs> yes. So I can oh, just go off. It. Well, the thing is, I is, I, I, is I, I... Listen, listen, listen. We're keeping this fair. If I have to do Top Gun... And I have to do Catch Me If You Can... You're doing this movie. I... I know, I know, I get it. I'm Good. not. I'm not saying I'm not doing it. I'm just saying that's Good. where we are. The thing I'm is, just... though, is I gave <laughs> when when before Will watched it, I told him not to multiple multiple times. You did tell him not to, and he <laughs> goes, "Oh no, no, I'm doing this." <laughs> he, he was looking it up right there and then, and like then online, on, like, "Okay, here we go." <laughs> we're on our text thread, and he goes, "So I watched it. You were right." <laughs> so we started talking one day. Not, not, no, 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 no. I didn't say you were right. I said you were wrong about one thing. You, you told me yes. one thing about that movie, like this traumatizing experience that you have, which that was did blown not out of proportion in the movie. You blew right. it way out of proportion. He, they call it passion in the desert for a so reason. What? Oh my no. gosh. If you no, want to call yeah. it him cleaning the leopard, go for it. You're go, watching. If you want to, I really wa- hope. I really hope the week that we do this movie, you watch it again to refresh your memory. So I have you have to. There was no. There was. There was no passion going on the way that you tried to explain it to me, sir. Hey, it was 24 years ago for me. I'm doing. I don't right. care. Okay. So for right. for it being a 24 year old memory, how 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 accurate was I to the film? Pretty accurate. Okay. <laughs> you tried to sell me on bestiality, though. I'm just putting that out there. Like, you tried really hard to sell me on this. And I'm like, no, no. there's no way that this happens in a PG movie. I was not trying to sell you on it. I was trying to deter you from it because of that. No. I think you secretly wanted me to watch it. No, 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 no. I don't secretly want You just anyone. want somebody else to suffer with you. I, exactly. <laughs> That's what I think is happening here. I think you it's secretly like, wanted oh, me to watch it. This smells horrible. Here, smell this. When we do exactly. this podcast, when we do the podcast that we need to open it with, we're doing Passion in the Desert. Now, nobody, I mean nobody, go and, to go back and watch this film. Like, don't do it. <laughs> watch it. Be, watch it start climbing the charts. <laughs> right? <laughs> But um, imagine if we had that kind of pull on this podcast and all of a sudden passion in the desert was charting. It starts jumping up and it shows up on Netflix and stuff. What and you're like, happening? wait, what? The craziest part of that movie. There's a cult following. The craziest oh part of that movie. The part of that movie that got me the most is it's PG and we're all sitting there. There's three of us guys just watching this movie and all of a sudden he stands up and you're like, huh? Like, <laughs> You're like no, like. But wasn't su- wasn't Superman PG? He was two. <laughs> this guy, this guy was a full grown. <laughs> this is this is this is a full grown man hanging out with a puddle. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, "What am I watching?" At that point, you would have thought we should turn this off. None of us no. did. <laughs> At that point, you're committed. That, that, that almost At reminds that me of the point, time you're committed. We were committed the whole time. <laughs> so, so, Will, remember my buddy Tony lived across the street from my father-in-law? Yes. Okay. So he and I were at probably a blockbuster video or whatever, and we're like, oh, let's watch a movie tonight. And he's looking around, and he finds Bruno. 
I know we don't talk about Bruno, but Bruno, which was which was Sasha Baron Cohen playing yeah. like playing a homosexual Austrian who had a show, and mm-hmm. it was his idea to rent this movie. And I'm like, are you sure? Okay, yeah, let's rent this. I I saw Borat and it was funny, and we're sitting there watching it, and the entire time he kept looking at me like, why are we watching this? And the entire time looking back, I'm like, it was your idea. Why are we still watching it? We watched the whole movie, and we didn't talk to each other for the next two weeks. We didn't. I mean, we lived across the street from each other. We didn't talk. We did not speak to each other because for, because we were so disturbed, yet we still sat there and watched the whole film. Kind of like kind of like when you and I watched Guns Akimbo. <laughs> no, we <laughs> talked about that, though. Just the one great scene in that whole movie. Guns Akimbo. So, uh, if, if anybody hasn't seen Guns Akimbo and wants to, wants to look at Daniel Radcliffe in a whole new light, then, then there you go. Go see Guns Akimbo. <laughs> I will say that was your idea. <laughs> that was my idea. And that was your and, idea. And you have to it was admit one of the that better, it, was, it, it was, was one of the better movie suggestions that you've ever had. That movie, <laughs> it was so much fun. That movie was great. So, I, I don't Just, know if you guys remember, but we're like half an hour into our review on. I was just about seven. to say, oh, let's, uh, let's get going on. <laughs> let's get going on seven here. So um, I'll start with somewhat of a cold open. As Detective Somerset is getting ready for his day, and he comes across a crime scene of a uh, a wife who I'm sorry, a man who was killed by his wife. I love the way Somerset is introduced because the first question that he asks was, "Did the kids see it?" He notices. Some type of right. a drawing that's, you know, magneted up on the refrigerator. Did the kids see it? And the other officer looks at him in disgust. I can't believe you would ask me something like that. What's wrong with you? We're all going to be really happy when you're gone. I hate cops like that in movies. The cops right. that don't ask the real questions, the cops that just kind of want to sweep everything under the rug or that just want everything to be easy. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid to write cops like that in movies. I don't understand why it happens. And so it's immediately really- like establish that like right here in your face that Somerset is going to be the cop that actually thinks about what he's doing and do his job correctly. It's amazing. It- Right there, that's a huge point that comes up later on where he's talking about, like, where he's explaining, like, nothing ever comes of this. Like, our job is to go there, find this, and move on. We're not going to find the the killer. It's just our job is just to pick up the, like, clean up the mess and move on. And it's because he recognizes the point that nobody else cares. Nobody else is going to do their part. He's the only one who's been doing it, and that's why he's retiring. That's why he's moving on. He's a total pessimist throughout this entire movie. Oh, and yeah. it's really weird because he's right. <laughs> it's sad. No, he's, it's, well, that's the thing. Is he's, he's, he's good. He knows what he's doing. And at this point, we see him try to do his job. And then everything around him, you're like, what's the matter with you? Shut up and just do this so we can move on with our day. And it's like, wow. You know, this is this is that set the tone for the whole like, here's the world we're in. Like that was the the environment building moment right off the bat. I agree. All right. Thanks so for then agreeing. We get the opening <laughs> credits, and the opening credits of this movie are amazing. It's basically who is the quote unquote killer doing a whole bunch of no good in his apartment, 
You see the bandages on his fingers, so we kind of get a little bit of mystery there. He's making notes and jotting down things inside of his diary. He's sewing certain things together. You're getting glimpses and images of what this movie is actually going to be about, but it doesn't give anything away, and it's fantastic. And yeah. like I said earlier, I never paid attention to the actual credits. I always paid attention to the visual image because they're so amazing. I never knew that Kevin Spacey wasn't in the opening credits of this movie until Chuck told me, you know, a few minutes ago. I think that's fantastic. And that's Nine Inch Nails doing all the music, right? It's a version of Closer that's off of the Closer EP. Right, exactly. Way ahead of you on that one. I know. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. I mean, you you hear the the key elements from that song that's clearly an extended version you know, kind of like and mixed then in there. And yeah. saying, you get me closer to God at the end of it. Yeah, that, that doesn't right. give it away. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> Anyways. I fast forwarded so, this time. <laughs> okay. There's no lyrics. No. Okay. No, I fast forwarded because I just wanted to get to the movie. I was in a rush. Okay. All right. Not because Anyways. I was trying to avoid, avoid the, the lyrics. <laughs> Anyways. The movie opens properly and we get our first real interaction between who is Mills and Somerset. And there's some character development that goes on here. Somerset is just really curious of why Detective Mills fought to get reassigned to this unknown city. That's something else that I love about this movie. The city is never named, if either one of you were paying attention. It's New York. I think York. that's fantastic. No, it's, it's it, in New York, never but not specific. It. They don't they, they, name the they city. They don't, but they, but they made many... Um, Inferences that it might be New York, but they never say New York. They never mention the city name. No. No, because she says that she's from upstate. Upstate. And the only time someone's that, and usually when you hear someone say upstate, you hear, you think of New York. Right, but they were they were pulling a Simpsons moment and just saying Springfield and never getting into it. Oh, so it's you know thirteen seventy two Evergreen Terrace, Springfield, Ohio. Ohio, mod. That was the best one. Yeah, I just I just think it's I just think it's pretty cool that they never mention the city. It's in an I, that's why I always say it's an unknown city. Because even even here in Massachusetts, I'm in Boston. I could say upstate, and I could be referring to Groven or Haverhill. But nobody says that in Massachusetts. No, no, they say it in New York. That's the point they, that he's getting at. You never hear I'm from upstate Ohio. Like nobody <laughs> says that. It doesn't happen. The so point that's, is, that's the is, that is they, they never mention it, the but city. they never say it. Yes. Can yeah. I have my point, please? They never mention the city. <laughs> they never mention the city in this movie. Can I have this? You have that. You're Thank looking you. it up, aren't you, Chuck? <laughs> I am looking it up, but no one Good knows. For him. Exactly. No one knows. Yeah, because they, they never, never actually directly city. say it. Who cares if they say upstate? <laughs> the only city it's the only state that people say upstate in. I live in yeah, upstate Alaska. True. <laughs> sure I live in upstate I mean, North Dakota No you live in North Dakota And if you're in Michigan They always say it's like the back of your hand Never upstate So or the palm of your hand But whatever it I'm, is I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure the people who live in Detroit Would refer to upstate I could be wrong nope. No you don't no, think so? I know. I know people who live a little, a little more north of of uh, Detroit. I've driven past Detroit. I saw all the smoke and the flames and everything, and I'm like, okay, keep going. We'll take a left. 
and not go to the right. And uh, nobody up there referred to it as upstate. They just said Michigan. I don't know. Is there? A, I'm not. Is, I'm not kidding when I tell you I saw smoke and flames. The only part coming that, from the to, Detroit to, area. To Will's point, though, the only part that makes me question that is there's no. I don't think there's a T rail that's outside in New York. I think it's all subways underground. Uh huh. There are L's in New York. There there are elevated trains in New York. There are. Um, well, yeah. To get. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that there 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 has to be. Because it there reminds has to be me, elevated it, trains it in actually New York. reminds me of like Pittsburgh. I would have said upstate Philadelphia, fi- but uh, or upstate Philadelphia, Pittsburgh? yeah, Philly. Pennsylvania. Fine, fine. If you two want to think that it's New York because we get a throwaway line from Mrs. about being upstate, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but the point is they never say the state or the city that no, they're in. No, I concur. They don't. Thank you. We're done. We're moving on. <laughs> Anyways, like I was saying, Somerset is curious as to why Mills got fought to get reassigned there. Mills deflects this question, and Somerset quickly puts him in his place, saying, listen, I got seven days left, and while I'm here, I want you to look, I want you to listen, don't do anything else. Real simple. It's amazing. Okay. He doesn't listen to any of that. Doesn't listen to a word. Doesn't listen to a word. Monday morning, first victim is an obese man who at first glance ate himself to death. It's important I would to say know morbidly some- obese. That's not just obese. That I was going to say, obese. this guy is not just obese. This guy is like massive. Yeah, I mean, he's, remember he's, what, what's, he's his, what's his face said in Butterfly Effect? <laughs> That's one. <laughs> <laughs> that was too big a low. That's one huge. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Behemoth! Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very nice. No, but this guy was so not just glance, obese. He was, he was big. He was real big. Oh, yeah. I, what other word do you want me to use aside from obese? Morbidly obese. First, you have a problem with me saying that they did not name the state. Now you have a problem with me saying that he's obese. <laughs> I just said he's morbidly obese. I'm considered Fine. obese. This, that man is morbidly obese. That I would not consider you a, to be obese. What did you say? I would not consider you to be obese. Well, these the um, medical professionals would say otherwise. I am technically <laughs> obese. Yeah, you're on like I'm not overweight. Bottom. I am obese. You're on the like the top end of overweight and the bottom end of obese. Like you're not you're not really obese. <laughs> Is this really a conversation that we're having? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Lee brought it Fine. up. Morbidly we're, obese. We're arguing the about victim. the fat, the, the dead fat guy who ate a bunch of <laughs> Chef Boyardee. He ate more than Chef Boyardee. <laughs> he, he ate Chef the Boyardee and the rest Chef of his Boyardee. Boyardee. That's what I'm saying. So at first glance, it looks like he ate himself to death. It's important to note that Somerset notices his ankle and wrist have been bound by barbed wire. That's gotta hurt. Yep. Yeah. Mills starts to tell the story about some old case that he worked on, yada, 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 until Somerset <laughs> patiently tells him to please be quiet, which <laughs> is just the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> There's a bucket of vomit beneath the fat man and a table that Mills immediately turns his nose to. <laughs> Somerset asks if there was blood in it. He shoves his face in the bucket. He shoves his face in the bucket. Somerset <laughs> oh, asks, this? is there blood in it? If there's any blood in it, 
And uh, Mills really doesn't want to look again. Goes, hey, you can look if you want to. And that's when Somerset has had enough and sends Mills outside to ask neighbors questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later at the coroner's office, it's discovered that the man was fed to death. Not that he ate himself to death, but that he was fed to death. And that the side of his body was kicked and there was a rupture and he di- it's, it's, it's gruesome. And he it's blew up. Hom- and he blew up. He exploded. Um, it's ruled a homicide, and it I Mills could not be happier that this is a homicide. Like, great, I'm here, oh, I'm course. on the job. This is my first case. I'm on it. He's cannot. He's he's elated. Later on, Somerset is given the rundown to the police captain again. This is somebody who is not named in the movie. He's just he's just credited as police captain. Oh yeah, but he's but Arlie Army. Thank you. Yes. And he's just credited as police captain. He has no name, <laughs> no first name, no last name, just the police captain. Call him Nada. Sure. <laughs> oh, I stopped because I thought Lee was looking something up. No, no, no. Okay. Um. Anyways, yeah, he gives his police captain the rundown of everything that happened with the fat man. And uh, he makes it very well known that he does not want this case because it can't be his last. And he does not think that this should be Mills's first case because he's not ready. But the police captain basically tells him, I got no other option. You have to take this case. Sorry, buddy. You're stuck with the fat man. Moving on to Tuesday. The second victim is a district attorney by the name of Eli Gould. Greed has been written on the floor or the carpet in blood. A photo of a woman is on the desk and there is blood all around her eyes. Now, mind you, when you say there's greed written on the floor in blood, it's not just like a little bit of blood. It is. It's a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. It's It's a whole lot of blood. There is a scale that has been bloodied up. There are a stack of books that were bloodied up. It is a gruesome scene. Now, there are some things that happen in this movie that kind of go nowhere. There is, you know, uh, I'm guessing what is the police commissioner on TV telling a whole bunch of uh, reporters that the best men are on the job, but this is going to be swift justice. And it kind of bothers Mills to the point where he just turns the TV off. And that's when you get the reveal of greed spelled out in giant bloody letters on the carpet, which, yeah, whatever. Back at the police office, the police captain drops off some plastic to Somerset that was fed to the fat man. He heads back to the crime scene and finds out that the plastic came from some gouges in the floor where the refrigerator was moved and gluttony has been written on the wall in Greece. Ah, Greece. Mm-hmm. So, so now we know where he was. He was in Greece. Sure. Not, not New York. Upstate Greece. There is also a All note right. that is pinned uh, right beneath Greece, and it says, Long is the way, and hard and out of hell leads up to light. It's from okay. Paradise Lost by John Milton. Uh-huh. But I'm back in the police station, and here we go. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. And again, Somerset really doesn't want to have any part of this. No. Not at all. Basically, like it says, get me off this case. I'm not dealing with this. It's it's bigger than it seems. And I'm I'm done. I'm done in like a week. Can we just like give this to somebody else? I want to go home. Yep, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I want to go home. (laughs) There's a bit of juxtaposition between Somerset and Mills. Somerset is at the library reading books like The Divine Comedy, while Mills runs through the details of the crime scene from home. 
Somerset is doing his homework. Mills is trying to solve this from his couch. I think that's just, I think that's great, a great way to sell a story. Oh, yeah. The actual books versus the cliff notes, you mean? Exactly. We get that part next. So what Mill does with all this information that Somerset collects for him, he doesn't read the books. No, he can't be bothered with reading these books or actually getting any useful information. He just reads the Cliff Notes versions of everything, thinking that he's going to get everything that he needs. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. You get back to the office, and of course the two are sharing an office now because we have to tell the rest of the story of the movie. Well, they're, not wife sh- gives- <laughs> they're not just sharing the office. Mills is actually coming in and taking over Somerset. He's coming office. in and taking right. the office, but Somerset is still there, so they're sharing this office. Right. Clearly, clearly the police captain, like, set this up. Like, no, oh, yeah. you're working together on this. I know how to press Somerset's buttons. This is happening. Right. Am I wrong there? Yeah. Nope. That's, that's basically what's happening here. Absolutely. So Mills's wife gives the office a call and invites Somerset to dinner to their lovely vibrating home, and I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail about that. If either one of you want to, no? I think, no, it's, no. I think, it's, just, I think it's just funny. <laughs> I think it's yeah. hilarious. So, they, they, yeah, they tell the story about how they were shown this apartment, and the guy who was showing it to him only showed it to him for five minutes at the time, and the first night there, they realized they were beneath the subway, and the yeah. entire apartment just shakes, <laughs> which is awesome. Mills and Somerset talk over the cases going on. The DA was bound, but one arm was free, so he could cut off a pound of flesh and put it on the scale. Mills brings up the Paradise Lost books and Dante's Inferno, but can't engage with the conversation because, again, he only read the cleft notes versions of the books. So when Somerset brings up attrition, Mills is completely lost. The woman with the blind, the woman with the blood around her eyes is somebody that they want to talk to next, so off they go. She's obviously hysterical. But well, she's able to point out that the painting in the office was hung upside down. Go ahead. Right. Here's, here's the crazy thing is they do have the conversation of the pound of flesh. Right. But then the conversation goes into where would you cut a pound of flesh from? And then they have that conversation. And to me, that's where David Fincher made this movie gruesome. Was It wasn't in the visual effects that we saw. It was in the conversation and the monologues and the dialogues that went on that made this movie so gruesome. Talking about cutting a pound of flesh from your love handles. Right. I think, I think, I think that he was, he was almost taking a page from Tarantino and just having conversation. That's like not necessary, but there just to develop the relationship. You know, I think that's what, what we've gotten, I mean, again, the whole point, the whole reason we started this podcast was basically about men giving somebody a foot massage. Um, and, and that's just, that's one conversation that always sticks. He's not and Tarantino, lying. That's, the, that's and, the sad thing. You're not <laughs> lying about this. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, anybody who's seen Pulp Fiction understands, this like, the dialogue. This podcast started because Lee and I could not <laughs> stop talking about Tarantino's love affair with foot massages. Well, no, but but we recognized one day that that was that was the that was our relationship, but like course, put on screen. Of course. Our relationship is we'll sit there and argue and argue and argue, and somebody finally asked the question, "Oh, well, would you, would you give a man a foot massage?" And it's over. And, you know, and then it's over. Like, because finally it's like <laughs> valid point. I'm mad at you. I'm done. Screw you. All right. 
So would you give a guy a foot massage? <laughs> so, but that's that's the point. Is like that whole conversation in there was an irrelevant conversation, not needed, but it it gave you a grounding to who the characters were. Mm. So having a conversation like that, talking about like what would you do with it, like how would you do this, like it's not needed for it, but it's showing a relationship developing. And and it's showing the two people kind of feel each other out. So, it it is necessary, but not seen in a in a normal mainstream film because a mainstream film wants to give you action and excitement and this and that and right. everything and right, and avoid the other things. But that's that what I'm saying is character building. He t- it's character building. Yes, at the same time though, that's where he got into all of his like graphic artistry was in the language that was being used in this film. And it made you hear what was going on, and then instead of showing you the gruesomeness of it, he allowed your mind to just run wild with it. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, that's gruesome. So, I'm gonna get a little bit, I'm gonna get a little bit more gruesome here. I don't think the scene was unnecessary. Do I think it was gruesome? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm that kind of person that's all for it. But I don't right. think it was unnecessary because I've spent time working in a meat market. I've spent time <laughs> cutting meat. I've spent time in a deli. And the easiest way to get an accurate measurement is a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Where else on the body are you going to cut from to give a pound of flesh? Right. A finger at a time is not going to get you there. Love handles no. will. Right. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that, that, that is what it is. So for the movie, for what it is, and especially not for Mills' character, but for Somerset's character, is something that he can really seek his teeth into, which is why he goes into the whole thing about him preaching, it makes sense. So I wouldn't right. say that it's unnecessary. I agree that it's gruesome. I agree that maybe it didn't have to be there, but I do think, I do think it makes a lot of sense, especially for, for a mind like Somerset in this movie. Yes. I, 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 I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think, you know, the scale with a couple of fingers in it would have sufficed. It would have been something that would have been thrown away and it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. But like, no. you know, literally slicing off the pound of flesh and especially when you get into the religious aspect that this film gets into. There's really no other way that you would be able to tell that. I mean, if there is, I'm open to suggestions. No, OK, I'm with you. All right. So like I was saying, he's going on about the books. He can't engage when Somerset brings up attrition. And they go and see the woman, who's obviously hysterical. And she points out in the pictures that she's shown that the painting has been hung upside down. They go back to the DA's office to take a look at this painting. And Mills gets really impatient that the answers aren't jumping out at him. Like, oh my God, we can't find anything. And he actually does a scene where he, he gets so frustrated that he bends over the table and he says, this is us right now. And the killer is out there just having a good old time. And Somerset <laughs> takes his time, jumps up on a desk, grabs out a little brush and finds fingerprints. They call in the people, they spray this thing down, and it's fingerprints that spell out, help me. Crazy. Mm. Nuts. So, later on, they're back at the office, they're trying to find a match of these fingerprints, and they start to fall asleep on the couch. Somerset may be 
smarter, but Somerset may be smarter of the two. There's no question there, but Mills is the one who's still hopeful. He's young, he's full of optimism, he's hopeful, and it's clearly in this scene. Somerset thinks that all they're doing is collecting all the evidence on the off chance that it'll be needed in court one day, and Mills is a lot more optimistic, thinking that they're actually going to get somewhere and that they're going to make a difference. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Thursday morning, the police caps them, wakes them up as they're still sleeping on the couch. They have a match, they have an address, and they have a name. It's a basic lowlife who spent some time in prison for attempted rape of a minor. He has a history of mental illness, a history of drug problems and assault, and his lawyer was dun da 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 Eli Gould, the greed victim. Neither mm. Somerset nor Mills buys that this is the guy that they're looking for, but they're off to this guy's apartment anyways. Yep. Once the SWAT, once the SWAT unit busts down the door, they find a man, or what's left of the man, bound to a bed. He's missing his hand. His lips look like they've been chewed off. He's emaciated. He's covered in sores. And written on the wall above him is sloth. Mm-hmm. This, to me, was the most visually disturbing scene of the whole movie. I agree. Well, not this moment. Not until later on when you find out that this man is alive somehow. Still. Yes. I think it's That's more disturbing. What freaked I me think out. him laying there is a lot more disturbing than when he just wakes up and like this is <laughs> It is, but the whole thing though is it's just when you come to find out that he has literally to the day been laying there for a year. A year. Uh-huh. You're like okay, this killer is methodical. He's thought this out. He is patient. He knows what yeah. he's doing. Oh, this yeah. takes so so I've always had this question. Imagine just a bit, just for you touched on something and Somerset touches on the same thing in the movie. Imagine the patience it must take to keep a man bound to a bed for a year. Mm-hmm. Like you have to bills. go there every day. You have to hang up new air fresheners that are all around this apartment right now. You have to probably keep some things clean. You have to give him antibiotics to ward off infections. You're feeding him like like this is insane. Yep. Pay he spent bills. a lot of time figuring out what is the limit to how much you could like feed a person or provide for a person where they can technically still barely live. Yeah. That's that's the thing. The fact that the, that's what freaked me out. The fact that the guy was still alive after all of that. I'm like, how is he not dead after a year? It was like a mummy coming back to life. He looked like a mummy. I've seen plenty of mommy movies. So that's why it didn't freak me out until he was like, ah, ah, because you got that one cop who's a jerk and he's just like, ah, well, what was the line? Yeah. What, what, what did the cop say? He said something yeah, he, to him, you right? You got what you deserved. Oh, yeah. And first of all, wasn't got that right John C. McGinley? Face. I have no idea who that was. John C. McGinley was there. You know, Dr. Cox. Okay. Because he, he's uh, always in everything back in the day, including Hercules in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the way I look at Kevin Spacey's character in this, the the John Doe, that's his name in the movie. John Jonathan Doe. <laughs> I, I might get some grief for this, but his character in this movie remi- and the way he portrays it reminds me of a lot of um, Paul Dano's rendition of the Riddler in the new Batman film. Mm. I would put it up there with that 
with that level. Just the psychosis of it all, the psychotic. I would say of it all. I would say Paul Dano did, did did take a page. He did take a page or two from Spacey's character here. But just yeah. when you see the apartment layout, you're thinking the same thing. This guy was just, I mean, book after book after book of just, you know, notes that this guy wrote, and his his apartment mm. was just littered with this stuff. Do you have Catcher in the Rye? No, we're not going okay. conspiracy theory. Um, so I, I disagree with this completely. Paul Dano really? was more Paul Dano was more a conspiracy theorist than he was thought and methodical. Like the, right, there was, which is what I thought. Yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing intelligent about what Riddler did in that movie. Like what he can he can park a van next to a seawall and like and like you know get some <laughs> TNT together and and push a button. Good for you, sir. Any dummy with a brain could probably figure out how to do that, or anybody using the internet could figure out how to do that. Kevin Spacey in this movie is a genius. Insane, but a genius. Paul Dano was not a genius as Riddler. Paul Dano Insane. was... Uh, uh, what? Insane. <laughs> Insane. And I guess that's, that's as far as I'm the willing insa- to take that. The insanity part was on par with the way Kevin Spacey's insanity part was in this film. He might not be as intelligent, but just the insanity <sighs> level was on par together. There were some similarities that I saw, and I was like, oh, that it, it kind of connects. I mean, it doesn't, but it kind of does. Uh, Maybe well, the reason, a couple the reason if why you want to push too, it. The reason you're seeing that, too, is because the Batman was a detective movie. So any detective movie now, I mean, in the past 20 years, it's going to have this type of feel. So if you have a bad guy, you're going to compare, oh, there, well, there was this murderer bad guy, and then there was this murderer bad guy yeah, in this mystery because film. I, now, th- I will say this. I will say this. The Batman felt like Seven. Now, yes, if did. you want to say that the movie pulled from Seven as a movie, I would yes. agree with you. I would agree with that yeah. more than I will agree with Paul Dano trying to channel Kevin Spacey. I think that's, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I, I can't get on board with you with that one, dude. No worries. But 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 as as a movie, like the Batman absolutely pulled from seven. The atmosphere, the detective aspect of it, the crimes that were going on, absolutely. The lack pulled of from the seven. lack of light bulbs. Lack of lighting is that's another one too, yeah. <laughs> but uh I I don't know. I'm trying to see where you're coming from and I'm just I, I I'm not putting those pieces together. That's cool. But anyways, so they're in this apartment. Before the guy wakes up, though, there's a box that's marked to the world from me. There's photos of mm. this man dating back a year. There is also hair samples, stool samples, urine samples, and fingernails. One of the cops, being an idiot, decides to get all up in this bedridden man's face, telling him that he got what he deserves. And that's when this man coughs and comes back to life. <laughs> that would I would have peed myself if that happened to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would have pooped myself. That was like Why is it even, always even, like the idiot cop that thinks he knows what's what and he tries to be tough guy? Why is it always Well, I'm that actually guy? Well, I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't Mills. You know, so it was strange that they got like a rando cop to do that. Like they, you didn't see this cop earlier. They didn't build up his character to a point of, like, he's always a jerk. It was just, like, all you saw were, if you're not a detective, you're a jerk. Like, every cop is just a jerk, unless they're a detective. And then it's questionable. So, that's what they were kind of showing here. 
I think I know why it wasn't Mills. The scene where John Doe schools him wouldn't have been as impactful if it already oh, right. happened to Mills earlier in the film. Right, right. That's kind of... Like, you're right. It would have been... It, it could have been Mills, but... It was, just, it was just strange that they had a rando cop say something like that. that they gave yeah, him a line right. like that. You're right. You're right. That I agree with. You give if, this it was a cop cop we, if it was a cop that we saw a few other times who actually had other lines, okay, that makes sense. If it was the we police captain. Character. Yeah. If it was the police captain who for some reason decided to tag along for this <laughs> and he decided to get, or, or, what's his name? I, I always uh, forget his name. Arlie Ermey. Arlie Ermey. If it was him getting all up in this guy's grill, like you got what you deserved, that I would have been okay with. But I, I agree with you on that. Some rando cop, it is weird that they would give some rando a, a, a throwaway line like that. Right. So anyways, out in the hallway, Mills is having an emotional freakout. Somerset pleads with him to divorce himself from all emotions and stay focused. He can't really do that because then a photographer comes out of nowhere, gets all up in Mills' face with his camera, snaps a couple of photos. Mills smacks the camera out of his hand. They're screaming obscenities at each other as the man with the camera takes his bow and leaves. We want to... No, not yet? Okay, good. No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) You've said enough. So the sloth victim is taken to the hospital. He can't talk because he's chewed off his tongue a long time ago. That's a... That must be painful. And his lips. His tongue, his lips, they're just gone. Yeah. (laughs) It's coming off. Yeah. The face is coming off. (laughs) So, furthermore, his brain is mush... And if they shined a light into his eye, he would most likely going into he would most likely go into shock. The doctor ends by saying, "And he still has hell to look forward to." I thought that line was fantastic. <laughs> Ridiculous. <Nope>. Okay. <laughs> Later that night, Mills Mills's wife calls Somerset to meet for coffee and have a conversation about something. And Friday morning, they meet. She hates the city, but she doesn't want to be a burden to her husband. She goes on to say a lot more, and she adds in the fact that she's pregnant. Somerset almost had a child once, but he was able to talk the woman out of it because he can't bear to bring a child into a world that's like this. He knows that he made the right decision, but every day he wishes he'd made a different decision. He tells Mm. her that if she decides not to have this child, to never tell her husband about it, and if she does decide to have this child, to spoil it with every chance you get. Good advice. Back in the office, while looking over all the evidence collected so far, Mills says just because the guy got a library card doesn't make him Yoda. And the light bulb (laughs) goes off in Somerset's head. He collects some money and pays a fed to get him a list of people who are checking out flag books from the library. And lo and behold, they find the name Jonathan Doe and off to his apartment that they go. I hate this. is Is it not? It's so stupid that Somerset would resort to paying off a fed. Like, the way that his character has been built up the entire time through this movie, he's, like, really smart, he can figure things out, he can look at the evidence, he can backtrack, he can go into books, he can read, he can spend an entire night in the library. But right now, in this moment, he needs to pay off a fed to get him a list of names. And that's how they find John Doe. It seemed very odd. And then even when he gets in the car and he goes... Oh, there's a name right here, Jonathan Doe. As if he wasn't like, oh, I get it, John Doe. 
Like he just he seemed to be like, Jonathan, oh, it says Jonathan Doe. Let's go see Jonathan Doe. And then later on, there's the question. It's like, see, he's Jonathan Doe by choice. So like, of course he's Jonathan Doe by choice. You think he's like, that didn't make any sense. The whole Jonathan Doe thing for me made zero sense. The way that it they responded to ruins, it. It almost ruins Somerset character in this movie. Right. Right. It, it's really close. Yep. Didn't ruin it for me. Oh, so good you for like you, this? Chuck. No, it just didn't, didn't like it. It just didn't ruin it for me. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess. <laughs> okay. So, there's a chase scene. There's a shoot scene. They're firing at each other. Oh, yeah, by the way, when they're at the apartment, they knock on the door, and John Doe just happens to walk around the corner, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a gun, and immediately they just start shooting at each other in the middle of this apartment. I wrote it down <laughs> because it was hilarious to me. It's not, it's, it's not Brad Pitt. It's a body double who's going down the fire escape. <laughs> the fire yes. escape stops, and he jumps but you're not supposed to think that he jumps. You're supposed to think that he fell, but he very clearly jumps. It's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing in the world. I, and I notice things like that, and it's just like, why, why? Why why couldn't you just fall? You really had to jump as soon as it stopped? Thank you. <sighs> Anyways, John Doe gets the upper hand, puts a gun to Mills' head, but leaves him alive. He just runs off. Mills later on wants to kick into the apartment door. After being told a couple of different times, that they need a reason to <laughs> knock on that door. Mills kicks in the door anyways. What's done is done. And the way that they get their way out of this is they pay off a junkie to lie on a police report. She <laughs> noticed a shady guy leaving the apartment around the time of the murders. And then the money that she gets, and off she goes, and into the apartment, the uh, cops go, warrant oh. and all. I love that she was trying to like you know continue the story. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. yeah, 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 yeah. See, just like I just like I said, right, officer? All right, see you later. <laughs> so we we're 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 paying off feds to get lists, and we're hiring junkies to lie for us. <laughs> was that Seymour Bigham's cousin? Like, who was that? <laughs> I don't know. Was it was it Seymour Bigham's? Is that the name? Bigham. Who are you talking I know it was, about? It was, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle. That was that character, oh. Tyrone, Tyrone, Tyrone Biggums. Tyrone Biggums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he sold the house. He had a crack party at the house and he just sold the house. <laughs> the only thing I really remember from that show is, is really just grinding my feet up on Eddie's couch. Cocaine's a heck of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> Charlie Murphy. What are the five Charlie things to say to the face? Darkness. Anyway. Anyways. So, they're in this guy's apartment. To say that this man is a religious nut would be an understatement. He's Absolutely. sleeping beneath illuminated cross. He keeps souvenirs from his victims. He has cans of pasta, a couple of bloody books from the DA's office, and the missing hand from the sloth victim. In a case... Another case that contains a receipt to a leather shop and a photo of a woman. There's notebooks all over the place. The place is in shambles. It's, it's the, the, the state of this apartment is ridiculous. How many like notebooks were there? Did he say 20,000? He said there's approximately 2,000. He 2, said there's approximately 2,000 notebooks, each containing about 250 pages. Right. And then he said all something along the lines of how long it would take for them to read it. Like, we, if we had... 
How many guys in there doing 24-hour shifts? It would still take a month and a half. 50 guys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Ridiculous. They could have, a, they could have, they could have an army in there <laughs> reading in 24-hour shifts, and it would still take them two months. How Ridiculous. many? How, okay, yeah, sure. There's also, and here we are, there's also a whole bunch of photographs all over the place. The fat man and somebody else was up there, and in the bathtub are some photographs of Detective Mills arguing with the photographer on the stairwell. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah. They had him. They had him. Ah. They had him and they let him go. But how would they know? Sure. How would they know? Now, I forget. I, I think I may have missed that one scene. We didn't see the actual photographer, did we? No, we didn't see his face. We didn't see his face, if you, right. If you pay attention, you know it's Kevin Spacey. Only if you're paying attention. If you watch the movie for the first exactly. time, it's, it's so quick. First time, so quick, you, you would you never know. You have no idea. You have no idea it's Kevin Spacey. But second time through, you know it's him disguising his voice. You know it's him with a wig on. You know it's him. Yeah. If you're paying attention. So you, right. you, can, you can catch it if you really pay attention. So, anyways, these notebooks, as Somerset is wisely reading, is filled with all types of ramblings about what disgusting creatures we are and how he decided that he was going to make small talk with a man who he decided to throw up on during their small talk because he just couldn't deal with how stupid he was. <laughs> John Doe calls his own apartment, and obviously Mills picks up. He apologizes for hurting one of them. He wants to say more, but he doesn't really want to spoil the surprise, and he hangs up. Here we go. We're doing this. Saturday morning, they're at the leather shop. John Doe had something made. And the woman is found in the basement of a club. Lest lust is written on the door. There is a man on the floor who is frantically screaming to get this thing off me. Later on, <clears throat> the owner. Okay, I'm sorry. Later, the owner yeah. of the club and the frantic man are both being interrogated. In the two owner separate rooms. Didn't see, the owner didn't see anything strange. He says there are people coming in all the time with back. Bags and packages and all sorts of things, and I really don't, you know, give it a second thought. I don't care. The frantic man, he's he's having a bad day. The photo, <laughs> to say the very least, the photo that they got from the leather shop of this weapon or whatever the John Doe had made, uh, is placed in front of this man who is very clearly having some type of a nervous breakdown. It is Rightfully a strap so. on. It is a strap-on with a knife Bowie instead knife. of a more pleasurable toy. And, oh boy, use your imagination as to what happened in this room. Well, you don't have to use your imagination because he explains it in detail. He explains it in detail and I'm skipping the detail. Right. So, yeah. But that's the point. That happened. And it's messed up. That happened. This, uh, this, this toy was used with a knife on a woman by this man. I, I can't imagine... The scene right after the explanation, though, is very fitting. It's just Mills and Somerset. They're both in separate interrogation rooms alone, just pondering, thinking about what they just heard. And they can barely stomach it to the point where they both need a drink. And so do I. So they're in a bar and the two are having a conversation about how Somerset became such a pessimist. He runs down. His runs down is simple. Apathy is easy. It's easy, to be, it's easy to beat your kid instead of raising them. It's easy to steal what you want instead of earning it. And it's easy to lose yourself in drugs and it is to cope with life. Right. Mill sees things differently. He generally wants to help these people. He thinks he can make a difference. 
he tells Somerset, you're not quitting because you believe these things. I think you want to believe these things because you're quitting. And it basically leaves Somerset speechless. Really struck a nerve. And uh, Somerset goes on home to have a very sleepless night. I love what Morgan Freeman does in the scene, the way that he has this metronome next to his bed to help him sleep. He just chucks yeah. that thing across the room and then gets up and starts playing darts with a knife. Yep. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was awesome. Moving on to Sunday, the last day. 911 dispatch, it's John Doe calling, saying that he's gone and done it again. The next victim is Pride. It's a model of some kind who cut off her own nose. I'm sorry, it's a model of some kind who John Doe cut her nose off and then glued in one hand a bottle of sleeping pills and in the other hand a phone. He basically gave her a choice. You can live and be disfigured or you can put yourself out of your misery right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back at the police station, Somerset decides to stick around until everything is done. Just then, a man steps out of the cab who got a little bit of blood on the backside of his shirt. The man softly says detective a couple of times, and no one really seems to pay him any mind. And then he screams, detective! Turn around, it's Kevin Spacey, who is covered in blood, with bandages on his fingertips. Mills orders him to get on the ground, and John Doe is taken into custody. Fantastic yes, scene right here. Fantastic scene. It's 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 my it's the scene that I remember the most in this movie. Just his 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 smug detective. 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 Yeah. And then everybody everybody just turns around and you're like, wait, it, it, what? Everybody freezes. Like, a couple of people run out screaming when Mills pulls out his gun. Like it's a whole thing. It's fantastic. Somerset it's, it can is definitely the most memorable scene. Like, it's awesome. Like, like I said, Somerset can barely believe what he's seeing. Like, they can't, like, mm-hmm. nobody can comprehend what's happening right now. Just that no, he's that walking in. So he walks in and goes, you're looking for me. And just he's ordered on the ground. And that is the end of that. And my God. Yeah. So here's the deal. He's basically pleading out. He's been asked questions. And there are two more bodies out there. John Doe will take Mills and Somerset, only those two, to the location of the last two body. If they agree, he will sign a full confession and plead guilty. If they deny this, he'll plead insanity across the board, and obviously the nature of all of these crimes that he's committed, he's going to get off on an insanity if he decides to. So, they decide that they're going to go for it. Something else to note, that when his clothes were taken, they were analyzed. They found blood from the model, blood from Doe, and blood from and blood from an unidentified victim. Yep. Okay. So we, we, it this becomes next... identified just later on. Oh, we're getting there. So this is something small, but I love this. I was thinking about it, and I remember when I first watched this movie, and I got to this point, and you get Mills and Somerset. And they're getting ready to, to, to go out on this, this last little bit of the movie. And they're shaving their chests. Huh? And they're shaving their chests. They're, they're shaving their chests. They're getting ready to put on the body wires. The scene where they're putting on the body wire and the shirt and the vests. Just the shot of their chests and the music and the buildup and the anticipation. Just the way that everything is built in just this. I thought was amazing. It was really good. I thought it was incredible. So, 
while the this, three are out there on a drive, and like I said a couple of times during this podcast, Brad Pitt has no business in this car with <laughs> with Kevin Spacey and Morgan Freeman. Just he does not nope. fit, especially when you link back to '95. Brad Pitt does not fit at all. He's he's the outlier here. It doesn't make any sense. But whatever. The whole ride, John is sitting there, and Mills is doing nothing but belittling him the entire time, talking about you're just a crazy person, you're nothing, you're a blip, you're you're news of the week, you're a t-shirt at best. The whole thing just giving him the rundown. Then John starts rocking back and forth in his seat. And Somerset takes note of this and asks him, why are you so excited? We're getting close. He then goes on to say that I did not choose to do this. I was chosen. And Somerset counters by asking him, well, if you were chosen, it doesn't make much sense for you to get so much enjoyment out of this, does it? Which kind of shuts him up for a minute. So. He then goes on, well, Mills then goes on to say, well, how come you killed all those innocent people? Or, or in so many words. And that's when Doe loses his mind. Innocent? How dare you call these people innocent? A man so obese you would mock him in a restaurant. You wouldn't be able to finish your meal if you were sitting down eating. A lawyer who lies to keep rapists and murderers back on the streets? A drug-dealing pederast? And the disease-spreading whore. And a woman so ugly on the inside she couldn't bear to look at herself on the... A, a woman so ugly on the inside she couldn't bear to live with it on the outside. Only in the world this horrible because you say these people were innocent with a straight face. We right. see every sin on every street corner where we turn a blind eye because it's common. And on and on and on he goes. All very true. Really? Everything he said is true. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Go for so, a talk. I mean, <laughs> every single thing he says, it's true. I mean, this is Fincher's way of trying for to get us to empathize with the the villain of the movie um, by taking something that is true. Because I mean, think about it. Yeah, the average the, the average person will 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 mock these things. They'll laugh at these things. They'll you know look at movies today and you know talk about lust i mean you see you see sexual issues out there and tv shows and commercials because lust is such a huge thing in our world today i mean food i mean talk about food there's food everywhere every kind of food you can think of um all of these things are so common and we we look at it and I don't know if it was Kevin Spacey's character or if it was um, Morgan Freeman's character, but they say, you know, we tolerate it. It becomes everyday stuff, and we tolerate it, and we don't think anything twice. I think it was the scene where Kevin Spacey was saying it. We tolerate it. It was Kevin Spacey. And we just, you know, we live with it. And we look at, you know, all of the big evil stuff like death and murder and those things, and we actually overlook the everyday evils of the world that we you know we take for granted and we allow um and we praise it versus actually you know now i think that there is a you know there is the the aspect of loving people where they're at and not trying to kill them in horrific i was i was actually able to go there like you're you're saying all this right now are you saying that these people deserve to die no um, okay. <laughs> but at the same point in time, though, is, you know, 
how far do we allow things to go, for lack of better words? Because um, if you look at what's, what is okay today, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, especially on TV, was not okay. Okay. I don't know. I Some things I can get on board with, but when it comes to each individual making their own personal decisions, I find it really difficult to judge anybody like that. Like if you want to eat yourself, eat your like if you want to eat yourself into oblivion as long as you're not bothering anybody else and as long as you don't become a burden. Eh. That's Come on. He did. Come on. <laughs> he did. Oh, he he's out. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh. out. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. Oh my god. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to keep going. So, John is able to get under Mills' skin after all of that, asking him, what evidence did you have on me? How were you going to get me before I walked into your police station and put my hands up in the air? Mm -hmm. Mills retorts by saying, well, we knocked on your door. Yeah, and I broke your face. (laughs) It's awesome. It's so cool. It's and so I, cool. And I put a gun to your head, and you're still you're here only because alive I... I'm alive. You're only alive because I'm allowing you to be. Yeah. Mills loses his mind, tells him to sit back, and then faces forward and really doesn't say anything else. He is clearly put in his place in this scene. Yep. Eventually, they come to the stop, and they get out of the car. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're looking whoa, around, whoa, whoa, and a whoa, van whoa. begins. We missed a part. Good. Okay. Mm. This is the part where um, Shia LaBeouf and the girl get out of the van and a guy <laughs> drops off the next package for them to go and save her son. Yeah. Right? That's the sure. scene, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Eventually, like I was saying, they come to a stop and the van begins to approach. Somerset wisely tells Mills to stay here with Doe and Somerset is off to meet the driver. The driver gets out of the car, hands in the air, screaming, don't shoot me. I was just hired. Here's a package. Detective Mills, address Detective Mills. Uh, I, I was I think- just hired. Guy gave me 500 bucks to bring in here by 7 o'clock. And Somerset says, okay, get out of here. Run. Go. Right. And the I'm package sorry. is now on the ground. Go ahead. Eagle Eye stole this scene. <laughs> it's just instead the whole of, movie. <laughs> it's just instead of the guy running away, he gets zapped by, the, by one of the wires and gets fried. But he yes. comes down in a van, has no clue yeah. what he has, just delivering Zero. this thing. Yep. You know, yep. just gave it to him. And then, so he's partaking in this thing that he has no idea about. Absolutely. And then they take off. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the same, you it's under it. the same wires. Like, it's under that same type of wire, like the, the big telephone wires. The big power, power cables. The big power lines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Pretty much. Pretty much. Anyways, we're back with John and Mills for a moment, and John tells him, it's glad that we have a minute to talk. You know, I admire you. I admire you and your pretty wife. 
And Mill's attention turns. Meanwhile, Somerset is thinking for a minute and he decides to open this box. There's a little bit of blood on it. The box opens. We never see what's inside it, but Somerset no, but you, and is very disturbed. You've got the, the helicopter circling <laughs> overhead. Like, he's got, he's got a box. Call the bomb squad. Open, oh, he's opening yeah. the box. You know, they're watching he's the whole thing. He's opening the box. <laughs> yeah, and what's they, in the box? Uh, what's in the box? Ah, <laughs> uh, what's in the box? Somerset takes off running. But before he... Oh, I'm sorry. Somerset says, everybody stay out of here. Stay back. John Doe has the upper hand, and he takes off running. I don't know why he takes off running, and he just doesn't get in his car and drive back. Like, why does he have to run? He's an old man. I, I don't understand that. Anyways. I don't know. We get back, and John Doe is still going on and on about how he admires Mills, his life. He wanted to taste the life of a simple man. He tried to be him. He tried to be husband. She was frightened. Somerset is telling him to shut up. The whole time, Mills is still going, what's in the box? And that's when the mm-hmm. line is dropped. She begged for her life. For her life and the baby that's inside her. And Somerset screams, shut up, and smacks, <laughs> smacks John right across the face. Mills is in utter and shock. That, and that part was out of character for Somerset, too, because the entire time, Somerset's telling Mills to not react out of his emotion. And in this right. part, he, yeah. he right. acts out of his emotion because he's just like, absolutely, absolutely. What's he gonna do? <laughs> right? No, I, I agree. What? What? What else is there to? Anyways, so we're getting the whole scene about what's in the box. We get the line about she begged for her life and the baby inside her. Mills is completely shocked at this. And Kevin Space, well, John Doe, but Kevin Spacey just gives this shrugging laugh and goes, "Oh, he didn't know." And that's the end of that. Um, yep. Mills takes a minute to freak out even more. And then he gets an image or a flash of his wife of Gwyneth Paltrow appears before his eyes. And he just unloads his gun onto John Doe, making him wrath. Well, I'm sorry. John Doe was envy. And Mills would be wrath? Yes. Yes. Because John okay. Doe was envious of the life that Mills had, the normal I understand that. that. I'm just, I I understand that. But the ending of this never really made a whole bunch of sense to me because if you're going with, if you're going with the thing of the sinners need to die, then Mills should have died. Why didn't Mills die? Right. Why doesn't Mills die at the end of this? Like that should have absolutely happened. You got to watch 7.5. Well, the thing is though, is unless, because he committed cold-blooded murder at this point. And Could the death sentence be in there? Because he says, mm-hmm. I'm going to read you to the next two, stuff, the next two bodies, so. the two of them. That's what, but, that's what I, but, so. but that's what I'm saying is Fincher used, he used the dialogue to let your, your imagination just run with so many things in this movie. And that's where right. well, the police phenomenal. captain, the, poli- the police captain is there at the end of this movie when Mills is being taken away. And he does say, we're going to take care of him. And Somerset says, whatever he needs. They kind of end it there. I don't know. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe the death penalty is on the table now, and that's going to be the end of him. It, because it, it wasn't just possible. like... Because it wasn't like he just shot him out of self-defense. Like, he unloaded his gun on him. Unloaded on him, yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot to be had there, so... The police... Well, the police captain asks Somerset where is he going to be, and Somerset just responds, around. 
The movie ends with him saying Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway once said, once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And that is how the movie ends. Now, did you see the after credit scene? <laughs> sure. You want to make something up? Nope. <laughs> Go for it, man. I'm actually, I actually love watching, you know, older movies like this, where they're just like normal movies. And it just ends. They just like an hour and a half long, and a lot happens in an hour and a half. And, you and just the credits totally happen, and you can just shut it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're done. You're not like what? there's no there's no sequel. There's I no spin-off. I have to wait 18 <laughs> months to see the next thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The story's just over. You and accept it. You move on. And it's fantastic. It's it's just fantastic. Fantastic. It's an awesome ending. The, the, the way that this movie ended is fantastic. Like I mm-hmm. said, the only problems that I really have is that Mills doesn't die at the end. I feel like he should have. I feel like, th- I feel like there should have been somewhat of a solid conclusion. Chuck, if you're right and the death penalty is on the table, that absolutely should have been a conversation between, you know, the police captain and, and Somerset. Like, oh, my I God. Right. What did he do? Death penalty. It's some type of dialogue there I right. think would have been fitting. Or... There's a plan in place for Somerset, I'm, I'm, I mean, for Mills to die in, in that instant. I think something could have been crafted to make that ending fit a little bit better. Right. Because yeah. John Doe wins, but Mills is alive. It just it feels wrong. <laughs> so right, that's right. that. And then, like I said before, the whole thing with paying the Fed for, for some information on some library Checkouts, I thought was stupid. Hiring the junkie to lie to just further the plot, I thought was stupid. But other than that, this movie is fantastic from top to bottom. Yep. I yeah. totally agree. I enjoyed, right. now, I enjoyed this. Now, and this wasn't a movie that you had to think about. When I was done watching it, I was like, I enjoyed that film. Mm-hmm. And I would enjoy it. I love, the, I love the spin. I love the twist that happened. There's two or three things that you're not expecting. You know the reveal of Kevin Spacey, the re- the 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 death of his the guy's wife of Mill's wife, um, the last two being, um, the last two him and Mills being the the last two to fill his seven. Um, the whole thing is just from top to bottom. It's just fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. It's one of those rare movies where the twist doesn't ruin subsequent right. watches. Right. You can you can you can watch this movie your first time through and you're like, "Oh my god, it's Kevin Spacey." It doesn't ruin it a second, third or fourth time viewing it either. It it it's no. rare to find a movie like that where it's like, "Oh, the twist ruined the whole movie. I never need to watch it again." Nope. This was you can you can watch this as many times as you want to. Yep. Um, but yeah, this was this went by rather quickly. Um, Lee, closing thoughts on 7? Does anybody does anybody think that Saw would have happened if this movie didn't get made? That's yeah. an interesting question. I think it would have happened. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like Saw just wouldn't have happened if this didn't happen. Saw took the death to a whole new level. It did, but it, but it really drew a lot from this movie. You're, talking about, you're it, talking about Jigsaw specifically. Oh, yeah. Like the character of Jigsaw. Yes. That, see, this I agree with. Comparing John Doe to Jigsaw is much better than comparing John Doe to, to Dano. 
Yeah. I oh, agree absolutely. with this. 100%. Yeah, you're right. I don't think so. And that was my thought maybe, when I first watched the Saw movie. I was like, when I first watched the first Saw, I'm like, oh, this movie's great. It took what Seven did and then just like made a horror movie out of it instead of a thriller, you know, per se. Um, I can, Saw I can horror. see Saw was just well, gore. Well, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's Saw yeah. was just. And then, I mean, it, and then they made like ten of them, and it was just yeah. It got like the first yeah. one, like the first one or two were great. After that, you're right. like. This is Scream 10 all over again. Like, the same thing is happening over yeah. and over yeah. and over. The only cool thing see... about the Saw... The only cool thing with the Saw saga was... The saga. Well, it is, because it's actually... So much of it is happening at the same time. There are so right. many of these things happening. Each movie, there's, they're, they're happening... While one movie is happening, the other movie is happening somewhere else at the exact same time. It's just, right, and it's I think crazy. that that was what that's what made that so good, and that was the big twist, right? You know, um, which I thought was great. Now, it didn't now I don't want to sit there and just go off on horror movies and thrillers and all this stuff and gore stuff. But did you guys watch Cube? No, never. Nobody I've ever never saw Cube. Heard of it? So Cube. I mean, long story short, if you don't plan on seeing it, whatever. Uh, anybody who's never seen Cube and plans on seeing something like this, then you know, don't listen to me. But there's a movie called Cube. And it's these people are all thrown into this square room together and there's like doorways out on the ceiling, on the walls, on the floor. And the whole point is trying to get out of this place alive. Why are they there? They don't know what, you know, every time they try to go into a new room, there's like some type of booby trap in there. You don't know what you're about to walk about to walk into. Um, And the whole thing is them trying to escape this. And it's actually just like a series of cubes, like this whole industrial thing just full of cubes in each one and people are trying to find their way out now um there's there's one character in there that um is we'll say developmentally delayed but he's like rain man really good at math and he's he can like figure stuff out and they realize like we're in the blue room we're in the blue room we shouldn't be in the blue room we should have gone back to green you know like and he's saying these things and you don't get it now they made cube they made cube two they made cube cube cubed i guess um and then they also made one cube zero which was a prequel and one of the coolest things they did about it was in the prequel you're watching this and a guy who's working for the company or whatever organization we'll say um is in charge of this and overseeing everything he's trying to like stop it from happening so what they do is they actually give him brain damage and they shove him in the room and you find out that he's the developmentally delayed dude later on who was like a, a math genius, and that's why we see him later on knowing the trick to get out. It was actually really well done just in that, but these were, you know, low-budget kind of thriller horror movies. But again, it's things like that um, that you can work into, and you can tell that they they took different um, elements from other movies. Not straight horror, their gore, their, you know, thriller, whatever. But it, it's cool when you can do something like that. Um, and I, I'd wonder, you know... The, the thing the thing nowadays is you watch too many movies and they just draw things out they drag them out they milk them um i would say in that case they they didn't milk it so much but they did a really cool twist that you wouldn't have expected oh <laughs> that guy was actually a normal dude in the beginning didn't have brain damage they they basically re like messed with his head cut his head open and pulled parts of his brain out and basically gave the dude a lobotomy and then he's the guy we saw in the very first movie years later it's like yeah. oh so cool but anyway that sounds interesting. that's it, it is like interesting a, like you, but 
yeah. Like you were saying, so you asked, um, would Saw be made? I think the concept of Saw would have been done like a bunch of people locked inside of a death house. I could absolutely oh, yeah. see that as a concept being made. I don't see the character of Jigsaw existing without John Doe. I don't think so. I agree with you. All right. So we're going to wrap this one up. I'm done. Lee's off camera. I'm saying goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was fantastic. Have a good one, people. Bye, guys. See ya.